Hello and welcome to another Good Business Podcast from DBNN. I'm guest host Drew Hendry and in this episode I'm in conversation with Ronald and Scott Gordon to find out just why Gordon's Timber is such a good business. Hi, my name's Ronald Gordon. I am the Joint Managing Director of Gordon Timber. I've been working in the business since 1988 and I'm responsible for the operational side of things as it relates to the production, the health and safety and the engineering. Um, I'm Scott Gordon. I'm the Joint Managing Director here at Gordon Timber. Um, I'm responsible for capex, sales and harvesting and I've been working in the business since 1987. This is a very special business, isn't it? It's a central part of your local community too. Tell us a bit about the history of Gordon's Timber. Yeah, the, the, the business was founded in 1862 by Hugh McIntosh, so it wasn't our own family that started it, but our uh, great-grandfather John Gordon and his brother James joined the firm about 1875. Their first job, I believe, was uh, sweeping snow off the deck of the schooners, so it started at the bottom, so to speak, and... Um, uh, John took the business forward in the 1890s as Hugh McIntosh suffered ill health and uh, John Gordon eventually bought over the business um, in 1900 and um, it's been in the family business ever since. Well, from sweeping the snow off the decks of schooners through to today as a continuing family business, it surely must be one of the oldest in Scotland. We believe that we're in the top 15 of longest established family businesses in Scotland, so that's an accolade that we're very proud of and want to continue for many, many years to come. To be in business as a family for that long, there must be a real joy and excitement involved. Otherwise, people would have gone off and followed different stars and taken different paths. So there must be a real sense of family in the business so on, on top of the actual ownership. Yeah, absolutely. We, we, we enjoy the fact that um, you know we have a, a number of families in the business that have worked with us for, for decades, sort of fathers and, and sons, brothers and cousins and so on. So there's a real sort of sense of, sort of family about it. And um, yeah, it, it's um, something that we're very, very proud of. I'm sure our listeners will want to know more about you both. So tell us what in your respective careers has influenced you the most. I think for for myself, I suppose I've <clears throat> been fortunate enough to work alongside a number of people who've got tremendous experience in the industry, and that's that's happened from a, a very early age. I suppose, being honest, I think I speak for both Scott and I when I say our our father has had a huge influence mm. on our career. You know, and I think we're very very keen to follow him into the business. And following on that, we've had many other people along the way, you know, managers both within our own company and out with our company, but still in the industry, who I think have inspired us and let us see that it can be um, very inspirational, I suppose, following in the footsteps of people that have really taken our industry forward tremendously. You talk about inspiration. What is it that motivates you most in your business? Um, I think we, 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 like, we like manufacturing something. You know, they say that manufacturing in, in the UK is dead. Well, we, we, we're up here in a, a smallish town in, uh, in there in the north of Scotland, and we're very proud of the fact that we manufacture and we make something. We actually make something, and um, it's grown in the Highlands, processed here, and it's competing with products from all over the world. So that, that gives us a great sense of achievement. And, um, you know, I, I'd like to think the vast majority of our, our workforce share in that pride as well. To be successful, you must have to develop skills that are not necessarily in-house. So tell us a wee bit about your own personal journeys and how you came to be uh, where you are now. My background is a financial one. I, I studied accountancy uh, down at Napier when it was a college way back in the early 80s. Um, I'm a certified accountant, that's my profession. But 
although I don't practice that on a daily basis, I find it a tremendous uh, foundation, if you like, you know, in helping me understand and be the joint managing director in the business. I have been fortunate enough to spend some time working in Germany in the Black Forest in a sawmill over there. And I suppose since probably 1988, have learned a lot through the various departments within the business. So now I, I find myself in a position where I'm in my mid to late 50s and able to use a lot of the experience I've gained, pass on to other people. Yeah, I, I um, did mechanical engineering down at Imperial College in London University, enjoyed my, my time down there, but um, I felt I wanted to come back and um, get involved in the business with, with Ronald and with our father um, and um, I suppose have a have a crack at that and try and take that forward. As you say, you talked about the history. We were keen to, uh, very privileged to have um, been able to um, get involved in the business, but we wanted to, to make it better and push it forward. And we've, we've tried to do that over the last 30 years. We've talked about the fact that the business has been in your family for generations. How, how much of a role does that long tradition play in today's business operations? No, I, I think um, people people enjoy the... the um, Longevity of the business, and um, they, they value the kind of the, the, the values that we have in terms of family and service and quality and that sort of thing. So I think it's a, a very good message, just the the age of the business and um, how much emphasis we put on quality and service. It, it's worth a lot. Of course, you don't stay in business as long as your family has. You don't have this level of success unless you do new things, unless you innovate. What, what is the role of innovation here? And is there a vision that drives that forward? And if so, how do you get your employees to buy into that? I, I think innovation's got to be at the heart you know, of what you do in the sense that nothing stands still. And although the business was founded over 160 years ago, it was really our father who decided he would specialise on the sawmilling side of things in the 1960s, having come from a a background where we're involved with grain and coal. And since then, I think we've tried to take things forward. At the moment, I suppose we're recognising that there's more and more importance, rightly so, attached to the environmental credentials involved with green industry, you might call. So I think that's very much got to be at the heart of what we're doing. And I think being open to new technology, Scott might want to speak a bit about that in terms of where we're at with the new technology now. Yeah, but we've... We've, we've had a philosophy of reinvesting in the business. So you know, we, we think since we built our, what was our new mill in uh, 1998, um, we've spent in the region of 20 million pounds in that period. Our current strategy is um, to spend a million pounds in the, the business every year. Um, so we've got to get the best best kit. We believe we've got the best kit that uh, you know, money can buy sort of idea. Um, and I think continuing to, to innovate at the moment we have a robotics project on the go which is extremely exciting yeah um it's it's something of a an r&d project um as well so but we're incredibly excited about that it's been very very challenging um it's coming to fruition now we're um we're just working our way through the sort of testing and commissioning but incredibly excited about that and seeing if we can apply that modern technology to a traditional industry. And just how important is it for your employees to be invested in that vision? I think it's absolutely essential, Drew. You know, I mean, you know, we very much see them as being at the heart of what we do. And I think when we're talking about innovation and adaptability, I mean, I think we all know that the world is a more complicated place than ever before. And I think we've got to try and be very much in tune with what 
uh, a good employer needs to be doing to, to look after their people uh, and to, I suppose, take them with them, as it were, make them feel engaged. You know, I think we work very hard at that to make them feel as part of a team. And you look after them too, don't you? I, I notice uh, coming into this business, even the, the small things are in place. There's, for example, fresh fruit laid out for our staff. Um, these things are nice personal touches. Do you find that you get a return for doing the little extra things for your uh, people here? I think so, yeah. I think the vast majority of people do appreciate that. And, you know, we've got a, um, a long sort of history of, of doing that. You know, I think you can't fake that. I, th- I think people, people get that. We have a, a discretionary bonus system where everybody throughout the business gets that amount at the end of the year. If we, if we have a good year, we share that, uh, with, with every last one of the employees. And I think these kind of messages are very, very important. And I think people do respond to that. And, um, yeah, I think they want to come and work here, you know. Does that motivate people? Does that uh, boost your productivity? I think so, for sure. I mean, I think it's important as well as the, the, the tangible recognition. I think it's it's taking the time to literally say good morning to people mm. and thank them for their efforts. You know, I mm. think that goes a long way because we do genuinely appreciate what people do for us. You know, it's, it's, it's very, very important to us. We can't overstate the value of that. And I, I think acknowledging it in some of the simple ways, you know, are often the most effective ways. Okay, let's dive a bit deeper here. Tell us something interesting about your business that our listeners might not ordinarily find out about or know through traditional marketing channels, for example. Uh, I think it's a small story. Back in the in the eighties, I, I believe the, uh, the the ceiling of the House of Lords was in need of repair. I think Mr. Lord Shinwell, Manny Shinwell, I think it nearly came a cropper with uh, one of the timbers there. But uh, our father got together with Lord Codder of Codder Estate and. We processed timber that came from the estate for the refurbishment of the ceiling of the House of Lords. So that's not everybody can say that. Every time a Lord looks up, they'll uh, see a piece of your work. That's a, a real piece of history. It, let's look then to the future now. What are the biggest emerging challenges that you face uh, in the industry? I, I think in the here and now, the biggest challenge we have is succession planning. You know, we're very fortunate. We've talked a lot already about the value and the the appreciation we have for the people that work in the business. I think we've been very fortunate that they've shown great loyalty and we've got people that have been here 20, 30, 40 years. I think our challenge is to identify the next generation at all levels of the business that want to come into it. And I think if we can literally get them over the doorstep and let them mm-hmm. see what we're doing here, I think they're genuinely impressed and captivated. And I think that's that's a challenge for us is to engage with them and, and let them see that sawmilling has moved on. It's a very high-tech industry now. It's at the forefront of the Scottish economy. We're absolutely delighted that to have been recognised, you know, as an industry as contributing a billion pounds to the Scottish economy. It underpins 20,000 jobs, often in the rural locations. Mm-hmm. And I think if we can try and keep getting that message across, hopefully more people will want to come and work, not only in our sawmilling business, but other sawmilling businesses throughout mm-hmm. the land of mm-hmm. Scotland. Mm-hmm. I think looking beyond that, the, the other challenge that we have is continuity of raw material supply. And again, I think we've been very appreciative of the fact that replanting has really been kick-started over the last five years. We've had great support from Ferry Shearing, and I think that's carrying on now, Mary McAllen. So we're absolutely delighted that that's setting the industry fair, but we just need to have more trees, 
in the right place at the right time. Well, we'll come back to the supply issue shortly. But Scott, you were talking about attracting people into the business. When you cross the threshold here, you see a combination of the physical works, but also the machinery that's involved in moving things around, the technology that's involved in processing. It's a really dynamic and exciting environment. But can it be a challenge getting people to understand how rewarding and interesting a career working in this business really is? Absolutely, as, as Ron says, I think I think if we can get them over the threshold, so to speak, that you know, there's a there's a really attractive business here. So, I think before we probably quite like the idea that we're sort of tucked away um, um, up Balbury Road, if you like, and um, what we've tried to do with our new office, which we're extremely proud of, it's it's a great space to work in, uh, beautifully light and lots of timber in use, and uh, get a great vision of the yard. Um, I think with something like that, we wanted to make more of a statement about the kind of company we were and what it would be like to come in and join us and uh, and work with us. You know, so um, that 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 was a, a big thing for us five years ago. But I think, as you say, that the technology we employ employ, I think. People are kind of quite taken aback when they see the 3D scanning. We're now moving to robotics, but just the kind of technology that in, that is involved in taking a, a log um, and processing it into a—it's an engineered component. You know, it, it, it's it's not sort of plus or minus half half an inch. It's 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 plus or minus a millimeter. It's an engineered component now, and it's very demanding. We've got to have the best kit employed by the best people. As we've discussed, you're renowned for treating your employees well, but as we've also heard, it can also be a financially rewarding uh, career in terms of the earnings potential too. Very much so. I think we want people to feel to say they, they can have a career path, they can have a future here. You know, we've been fortunate enough to be around for 160 years. We're not going anywhere. We, we plan to be here for many, many years to come, and we want people to come and work with us and uh, enjoy levels of job satisfaction that we've enjoyed. And, and be rewarded accordingly. Earlier, we talked about the challenge of supply issues. So if you had to send just one message out, what would it be? I, I, I think for me, I think it's just, I think that there's a greater appreciation of timber and processing. But, you know, we very much feel that timber is the building product of the future. You know, it's got great green credentials. Um, you know, it's, as Rod says, you know, we're generating employment. Um, it's kind of what, what what's not to like. So I think planting more trees and and accepting that some of these trees will not be beautiful to look at um, um, but they, they, they perform a function and they kind of they generate the kind of um, resources that allow people to go and enjoy the countryside you know so it's, it's a win-win situation I think planting more trees for the future is definitely the main message that we would have. I think it's also seen in the context of how the industry has developed over the last 30-40 years when Scott and I first got involved in the late 80s we were supplying as an industry about 15% of the software requirements in the UK. We've managed to successfully grow that market share up to 40%. Mm-hmm. So we're helping our balance of payments. You know, the, the industry has, I suppose, has managed to move from traditional industries such as coal and, and um, the British Railways onto fencing, uh, agricultural and domestic, construction timber, it's, you know, it's really exciting the way we've managed to grow our market share and help, help the general economy throughout the country. Mm-hmm. Well, talking about growing your market share, how important is marketing to you? And how do you decide specific, specifically, if I can get that word out, specifically on the approach to marketing a business like this? I, th- I think a lot of it is, is in the product itself. So we're very much you know, a re- repeat business. We, w- we want people to keep coming back. So our, our, our customer base is very steady. So by 
really sort of servicing servicing them. I can't get my words out now. Servicing them properly, <laughs> give them, giving giving them what they want. <laughs> yeah. You know when they want it at a fair price. Yeah. You know that that that's worth a lot. And I think that word of mouth gets out there. You know, and so um, a lot of that is is our marketing, if you like, is mm. is, is just letting um, letting the product speak for itself. Quality and uh, yeah, yeah, and I, I, absolutely. I think that absolutely. service. I mean, what we do is we pay particular emphasis on that. You know, we've got very good coordination between our respective processing departments, harvesting where we source the raw material, production where we convert it, and the sales and marketing where we engage with the customer and dispatch it. You know, and I think we work very hard at that and that's reflected in the level of repeat business that we've got. So in a business like this, how do you learn to stay on top of things and to keep delivering that uh, quality and reliability for your customers? I think I think a lot of it is just that um, desire to learn and keep getting better. I think that's been one of the drivers for us, you know, through the uh, the late '80s when we arrived. You know, we we, we um, looked at a lot of sawmilling businesses around and looked looked at the big guys, if you like, and uh, visited their mills and um, you know um, saw what they were doing. And, and over a period of time. Invest in that. Some of it was second-hand machinery. Then we moved on to, you know, it all being brand new and moving on to the best of kits. So there's been a real driver and desire to just be the best that we can be and, and process locally grown timber as efficiently as we possibly can. We get a great deal of pride out of doing that. Well, something that's affected all businesses over the past few years has been the pandemic. It's impossible uh, just now to talk about business without referencing that particular impact. It's it's forced many changes in many workplaces. So are there any changes that you've made to working practices that you intend to keep in place for the coming years? I think one thing that we we have done is that, obviously, we, we really had to be very stringent with regards to our hygiene protocols you know and i think i think we've worked very hard at trying to improve the welfare facilities and i think that's been something that you know it's just morally i think that's just the right thing to do you know we felt there's a real benefit and continue to look after our people better and better so although that that drive to increase the amount of welfare facilities and increase the hygiene you know was driven initially by covid i think it's something that's definitely here to stay it's just just the right thing to do i think the other thing that we've been aware of and obviously embraced is the hybrid working. You know, the reality is that having a sawmilling business, you know, unfortunately, a lot of the people have to remain here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But there are certain positions that lend themselves towards, you know, a combination of being in the office at times and being working remotely as well. You know, and I think that's been a real game changer, you know, for us as well. And I think linked very much to that, Drew, is, is the question about how we conduct our meetings. You know, we're in this meeting room as part of our purpose-built office, which stands as a very good stead on many occasions. But equally now, if we need to, we can meet remotely, which is a fantastic option to have. So has that remote working also filtered through to your customers? Do you engage more with them online now? We we do a little bit more of that. I think there's probably more mileage in that yet for us to go. Um, I think we've seen the benefits of this technology. You know, we are remote from a, a lot of our customers. We do do a lot in the Highlands, a lot in Scotland, but we still do a lot in England, and it is difficult to get down to see people. So I think I think we've got to try and build on that and um, use that technology to engage a little bit more closely with our customers. I think I think the other thing to say as well is that we've found great benefit in the flexibility of remote working. So I think when we get a motivated and driven, especially management team, if you like, they want to get the job done. So giving them a, a bit more flexibility as to when they start and when they finish and 
being at home for some of the time, I think that's improved the morale and it's improved the output, you know, so I think that's been a great thing for all of us. Well, adaptability is clearly key to your business and it, it, it absolutely must have been for you to have prospered so long as a family business. But other than the pandemic, can you tell us a time when you've had to embrace new ways of working? I think one of the things that probably springs to mind is, is back in 2008 when we went through, you know, like many businesses, you know, a very severe downturn, I suppose, you know, as a result of the financial crash. And that was a very difficult time for the business, along with many others, you know, that we had to go through a consultation process with a significant number of employees. We, we just weren't in a position to keep them all on, you know, and, and I think we had to be very uh, inclusive, very adaptable, uh, very transparent throughout that whole process and I think it taught us many valuable lessons you know in, in terms of sometimes there is bad news but I think you just have to be as transparent and upfront with people as you can and I think we learned a lot from that and got, got very good support from people out with the business um, we use a very good firm of lawyers called Lenny Chalmers who helped us greatly with that but that, that's probably a time that springs to my mind in terms of which is particularly challenging and, and required a great adaptability because the demand pretty well fell off a cliff almost overnight it felt mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think these instances force you to tighten your belt, <clears throat> have a good look at the business. So whether it's during the pandemic or whether it's through that financial crash, you, you have a really hard look at your business and, and try and sort of take the emotion out of it. So there may be customers that you did very well out of over a period of time, and that's maybe not such a good order now. You've just got to be quite um, um, brutal about it and sort of you know have a hard look at the facts. And if, if, if it's not adding up, you've, you've got to change things and, and adapt, as you say. Uh, through all of that time, though, you've continued to invest in your people. You you absolutely get that vibe the minute you walk through the door. But can you tell us a bit more about what you do to promote skills development? And do you have an example of your success in that department? Yeah, I think an example of success, we've got a couple of examples um, Craig, uh, Craig Simpson, who is our pro- um, production manager, he joined the firm in the early 90s, you know, as, as a apprentice engineer, um, doing a bit of engineering, a bit of labouring. He has progressed through the company over, over a period of time, and he's now the production manager. He, he now sits on the senior management team, um, and I, I think that's a, a great example of somebody through hard work, dedication, and training coming coming through to really playing a lead role in the business. I think the other example I would use is, is Lynn Bowie, who's our sales executive. Uh, Lynn joined us as a Weybridge operator probably about 15 years ago. You know, and again, through a lot of hard work and dedication, um, she's worked her way through into the sales department and now she's our first point of contact and the customers love her you know and, and I think it's, it's, it's a great story of what people can become, the opportunities that we've got here. That extra value that your team bring to your customers has come through time after time in our conversation. Is that something that you have at the forefront of your mind or is it just something that's embedded in the culture here? I th- I'd like to think it's part of our DNA, Drew. I mean, just to go back to what Scott was saying, you know, I think when we when we first got really involved with people initiatives, if you like, we were very keen to support the investors and people standard. You know, we were very proud of the fact we were the first sawmill in the United mm-hmm. Kingdom to get that standard way first. back in 1995. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the drivers was that, I mean, we looked around and saw that there was probably a lack of recognised qualifications for the industry. You know, it, it was still a very much a, as one of our managers called it, a Cinderella industry, you know, and <clears throat> well, thankfully it's now come of age. But I think because of that, 
we felt there was a need to try and really try and learn and develop our own people, grow our own, if you like, no mm. pun intended. Mm. And mm. Scott's given a couple of very good examples of Craig Simpson and Lynn Bowie. You know, we've also got George McPhail, who's our yard manager, and Frank Meehy, who's our engineering manager. You know, they've really progressed through the business and developed, and we take great pride and satisfaction in seeing them occupying these positions of real responsibility. And, you know, long may that continue. It seems pretty obvious that's why customers keep coming back to you because of that quality approach. But one important aspect that people will be interested in is how do you get to know and understand your customers and connect that good business practice? I think it's just, I think it's speaking to them. It's listening, you know, and communicating with them. So as we touched on earlier on, you know, going to see them, see what it is they use, what it is they need. Um, but, but very much listening to them and, and going the extra mile when, when they're, in, they're in a bit of difficulty, you know, they're, they've forgotten to order a pack or they're short of this. There's a big demand for that. And, you know, really going the extra mile for them. And, you know, we think that's just good pr- business practice. You know, it, it works for our customers. It works for, 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 for us. And, um, it, um, you know, and, and it works both ways. You know, if, if we're going through a, a quieter period, you know, the kind of loyalty that our customers show in terms of giving us an extra chance at getting some more business is very much appreciated by us. So it wor- works both ways. I would just add to that, you know, I think we're very conscious that all of us are fortunate enough to live in a lovely part of the world. Mm-hmm. You know, the quality of life, we think it's all second to none. But I suppose the reality is we're, we're not on the beaten track. So, I mean, we really have to go out to the customers in the vast majority of occasions because they're not going to tend to pass our door. So there's that added incentive to jump in the car or fly down, whatever it needs, you know, because we've got a good customer base both in Scotland and England, you know, in terms of looking after people and really engaging with them and finding out what's going on. You talked about this uh, pretty much being the ultimate environmentally friendly product from planting to processing. It's pretty much a circular business. Conscious consumerism is very high in the public mind at the moment in forming their decisions. Uh, What do you think in terms of those purchasing from you gives you the edge in that whole debate? I think people like the fact that it's, you know, the product we've got here is renewable, you know, so effectively we, we, we keep growing more as, as, as I talked about earlier on. We got involved in the, the FSC scheme, Forestry Stewardship Council scheme over 20 years ago. So that, that was a, a standard that we had to demonstrate to our customers that the, materials that we were buying in here were coming from properly managed sources you know as i say that that's over 20 years ago and it, and it was um it was very reassuring for our customers to have that An interesting little story we um we export a lot of our chips so it's it's a byproduct but about 50 percent of what comes in as a round log goes out as byproduct um these chips we've, we've had a market over in in norway for well over 20 years now it's a great alternative and, it, and it, it's a good margin but the main driver for them and it feels like coals to newcastle but the main driver for them was that we had fsc we could put that label on our chips and that, that was something that was important to them so that that was a sort of combination of a business decision that worked well for us but all of through um, demonstrating that the, the environment was being looked after. Just, just to add to that, you know, Scott used the phrase rightly about byproducts or co-products, as we would call them. You know, it, it's a source of great pride to us the fact that nothing is wasted. Mm-hmm. When Scott and I were um, young, young boys, as it were, we can remember our. <laughs> what do you mean, our, were? <laughs> our, our, uh, our, our father showing us the bark that came off the the initial part of the process and having to be dumped and burned you know and now here we are sort of 40 50 years on it's got great use for the horticultural mm. industry and yeah. scott's given an example of peeled chips you know 
nothing is wasted and I think that's a great, great message mm. to be able to mm. get out to people. So how do you keep pushing the envelope? What more can you do? I think, you know, again, it, 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 it's all about good stewardship. So it's being the definite stewardship, the definition being, you know, all that you do with all that you have sort of idea. You know, we, we, we got involved with lean manufacturing and the Scottish Manufacturing Advisory Service, SMAS, and we put about 25 of our people through that course, Rod and I did it. And, um, it, it was great coming out of that was that was a project that we had to do inter departmental. So I, I did a project on the, the yield and what we could get out of the log and making the most of the log. And it was great to see, um, uh, some of the operators really getting involved in that and seeing how we could squeeze every last percent out of that. Cause 1% on that return, if you like, getting sawn wood out of our um, highly highly valued logs coming in is, is worth tens of thousands of pounds to us a year so it was, a, it was a great example of using that learning of the lean manufacturing collaborating uh, with people throughout the business to, to give us something that squeezed every last percentage out of the logs. So what's next for you? Where, where are you looking to grow your business? I think I think um, it, you know the domestic use of timber so you know landscaping fencing in people's gardens was seen uh you know, an enormous That's a demand. Market now, isn't it? Oh, huge! Yeah, you know, all, all the programs on TV. I think um, one of the, the things about the the pandemic with people being at home was that was that they they had time in their hands and and they, they were investing in their in their own um, houses, gardens, and what have you. So I think that will continue. I think people people like the look of wood. They, they like the look of wood in their homes, in their gardens. So we sort of see that as being um, continuing to be a, a great never, growth potential. It's never been more appreciated. Exactly. No, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I, I touched earlier. Or an Andrea about the fact that we've grown the market share as an industry up to forty percent, you know, and I think what's really important, I suppose, is holding it at that. Mm-hmm. And it comes back to my point about if we can keep these replanting targets mm-hmm. being met, then we've got a real chance of maintaining forty percent of the market in you know in this country, which I think can only be good. Well, we're coming towards the end of our chat now. Is there anything else you'd like to share with the listeners about your business? I think one of the things that I would like to try and get across is that, um, you know, th- there is a place for commercial forestry. I think it sits very well with the recreation, the environment. You know, it, 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 forestry has got such a fantastic story to tell and, you know, the timber receipts or the payments, if you like, that are made for the commercial crop, you know, just help to drive all these wonderful things that the forest can provide, whether it's mountain biking, you know, walking, it's all there, you know, and, and I think that's the wonderful thing about forestry. And if, if we can just keep getting that message across that commercial forestry does have a place, Scott touched upon the fact that we're very proud of growing something in the Highlands. And, you know, it complements so many of the wonderful benefits that forests and forestry provide. This podcast is all about getting to the heart and soul of good business. What is at the heart of your business? People for me, I'd say it's, it's all about the people. I would say it's the people that work here. It's the people that buy from us. It's the people that supply to us. I, I know it. Maybe we're maybe saying like a scratch record, but I mean it is all about the people at the end of the day. And I think recognizing that and valuing that, and we've talked a lot about employees, but we like to think that we we look after our customers and and we we genuinely look after our suppliers as well. You know, mm-hmm. so that that would be for me. I, th- I think getting back to the point I made earlier on about making something, about manufacturing something, the, the pride that we take as shareholders and owners in the business and the, the guys that are out there um, producing it day in, day out for us. When you, when you go down to a customer's yard and you see Gordon Timber in there down in the Midlands or whatever, the, the, the pride that you get um, in seeing that and the, the, the teamwork that's gone into producing that and selling that into a highly competitive market 
makes it worth uh, coming in here every day. And how can our listeners connect with you, either online or in person? Well, I mean, we, we, we're delighted if people want to come and see what we do. I mean, we're, we're very committed with working with the local secondary school and learn academy, and we really have an open invitation to the pupils over there if anyone wants to come over and see what we do with the idea of, we'll probably have a vested interest in saying that, we'd like to encourage some of them to make a career, but that really goes for any prospective employees. If they want to come and have a look and see what we do, we'd be delighted to show you around and learn a bit more about the company and the industry and maybe think of making a career in it. Ronald, Scott, thank you very much indeed for joining us on this Good Business Podcast. Thanks very much, Drew. Good to see you. Thank you. This episode of the Good Business Podcast has been brought to you by the Digital Business News Network. Find more on this episode and others with businesses making an impact at dbnn.news.